Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. This week, we had a guest speaker join us and share a word. The following episode was recorded live during Sunday service. That's cool. He's out running around doing stuff and he makes a video to introduce me, huh? Well, I want to thank all of you for allowing your pastors, Jay and Heather, to be on sabbatical. You know, we're living in a time where spiritual leaders are burning out and falling out. You know what I'm talking about? And they need space and rest and time to sustain themselves for the long haul. You know, the things that we're looking more for than any other time are leaders who stay and pray and are healthy people themselves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I look over 150 pastors over six states, and for whatever reason, it's more difficult than ever just to keep leaders intact and to keep them in a healthy space. And look, you can do all kinds of great things and be a great leader, whatever, but if you yourself are not a healthy spiritual person, that's not a good thing. Are you with me on that? And really, this morning, I want to talk about that, really. I want to talk about the fact that, I don't know if you notice, but we live in a crazy world. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world where, in many times, it feels a bit chaotic. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but more than ever, and we have sociologists and statisticians and strategy business people, you know, putting out fancy articles and making uh, intellectual statements about how the world is chaotic. I want to just say, wow, you have to be really smart to figure that out. We have business leaders who talk about the fact that we're living today in a VUCA world. You ever heard that term? V-U-C-A. It means volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. Wow! So while we live in this chaotic world, the question is, how in the world do we keep our focus? Because here's the ironic thing. The more chaotic things get, the more focus we need. Anybody here today? Can somebody say amen? Amen. Can somebody say, I don't know, giddy up? (laughs) The more chaos... The more focus, turn around and tell somebody that. The more chaos, the more focus is needed. And so what that means for me, and really, truly, and honestly, my focus is always to preach to myself. And then if anybody else gets in the way, that's your problem. So I'm also trying to focus my attention on what is most important. The more chaotic things are, the more I have to ask and answer these questions. What is real, what is true, and what is most important? What is real, what is true, and what is most important? I was sitting on the plane coming here yesterday, 
And I see a guy next to me, and I'm thinking about this message, and I'm thinking, that is the epitome of, of, of what we deal with today. I mean, forget the political conflict and the technological change and just the craziness of people. This guy is sitting in his, in his chair in the plane, and he's watching a TV or a movie or something on the screen, you know, on the back of the chair of the person in front of you. And he's, also, he's looking at that, and he's also looking at his phone, and I don't know what he had going on there, another movie? And then in his right hand, he had a little notebook open, and he's taking notes about something. I'm thinking this, you're supposed to be sequestered to some degree on an airplane? No more. He's got three things going on. He should be just doing like I am, looking over the shoulder of somebody else and criticizing them. You know, there's the old story of Vince Lombardi. If, if you're not a football person, I don't know, nobody likes... Uh, you're Denver Bronco fans, aren't you? You see, you like football? <laughs> oh, I know, man. It's been a hard few years, let me tell you. I'll try to get my mind back on the message here. I shouldn't have said that. Vince Lombardi was a great football coach of the Green Bay Packers. And in 1961, he started out the training camp for that season because they just lost the world championship. It wasn't called the Super Bowl yet, but it was essentially the same thing. They just lost the world championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. And he started out the training camp by holding up a football in this famous speech and saying, Gentlemen, this is a football. And they spent that entire year talking about running and blocking and tackling and catching. And John Wooden, the great basketball coach, I love this story, he was known for years and years and years and years of starting out his training camp by having everybody learn how to put on their socks and their shoes. So my point is only to say, let's get back to a few essential things that really, really, really matter. John chapter 1 verse 14 is the verse that I want to read to you. Now, some of you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke were written uh, from a very historical point of view, and they all were, but especially these three, talking about the demography and the uh, culture and the language, and they give us the nitty-gritty details of Jesus' life, and through that are expressing the truth of who he was. Now, after Jesus had resurrected for a few years, the fact is that many other cultures and many other people with other languages outside of the Jewish context also came to Christ. And so the book of John wasn't just written to the Jews, it was written sort of transculturally to the many people who are coming to Christ. And so John is speaking not just from the gritty details, but he's giving um, his gospel as sort of a high concept gospel where many times in just a few words... A lot is said about who Jesus was, where in Matthew, Mark, Luke, it takes chapters and chapters. You got that point? And in fact, this verse, chapter 1, verse 14, is what many Greek scholars spend their entire careers studying. This is the truth. The book of John is so eloquent in its Greek. 
It's so pregnant with meaning. It's so deep, 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 and so high, 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 high. The Greek scholars literally spend their entire lives studying a verse like this. And so I want to give it to you because it beautifully encapsulates what matters, what is real, what is true, and what is most important. And I'm one of those people today who need to always remember this. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek there is tabernacled, which means he moved into the neighborhood. He set up shop. Not only did he become a man, but he lived like a normal person. In other words, the insinuation here is that Jesus could have become a man, lived on a palace, and acted like a king. That's what I would have done. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's the thing. God became a man. Now, when we look thousands of years later back at the life of Jesus and the scriptures, often we lose sight of that. We lose sight of the fact that God became a normal human being. That he was a Middle Easterner. You know, he didn't have blonde hair. You know, I love the pictures of Jesus today. It's okay if you have one of those. He looks like he's from Southern California. You know, he has blonde hair and this sort of Nordic forehead. You know, Jesus probably had black hair and dark skin. Jesus didn't float into places, you know, two or three inches above the ground. You know, he walked. He didn't have a shining garment. It was usually a little dirty and a little sweaty because he was walking in the Judean desert. He had a personality that came from a real family. He had a genealogy that was filled with a bunch of buggerheads. And he was known by that, and he was known by his own disciples primarily as a human being. God came to earth through a real person to say, I've got you, and this is who I really, really am. And that's how they knew him to be. When he ate, he had to use, you know, the latrine. I don't know, really know what a latrine is. I just thought it sounded better than the bathroom. He got tired. He got sweaty. There were times when he was weary and tired and, and maybe even a little irritated. Maybe not. But most humans can be irritated and not sin. He never sinned. He was God, but the people who knew Jesus knew him as a human being. And sometimes we think that Jesus came, he kind of swooped in, lived for 33 years, whoo, 
and then went back up to some heavenly palace. Went, wow, that was the longest 33 years of my life. Wow, that was a bummer. Listen, when Jesus came, he came to live as a human being forever. Do you ever think about that? That's a really important part of the gospel. Is anybody here with me today? This is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that gives true focus and true hope to life. Jesus was, when he was resurrected, he had his scars, and that's what he showed people. He lived in a resurrected human body that was both physical and spiritual. It's the same one you and I are going to have. Jesus lived in eternity past is a kind of theophany, the theologians say. He was a kind of angelic, super divine being who knows. But he made appearances, as it were, in the Old Testament. But once he came in human flesh, he was forever a person. The Bible says he intercedes for us. He still identifies with us. He still speaks to God, the Father, as it were, on our behalf. He's still there. He's still God, and he's still one of us. This is the incarnation of Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, listen, none of his disciples expected that to happen. That's crazy. Because he actually, and the angels in, in the number of uh, stories that we have of Jesus' resurrection, they clearly said that. They said he has risen, like he said. <clears throat> he is risen, remember? Like he said. None of them had that on their radar. Seriously? They had glimpses of revelation that he was the Son of God. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow! But mostly, they saw him as a human being who, would, who was the Jewish Messiah as they expected him to be. And they couldn't get around that. They expected him to win a political victory. Are you with me? They expected him to set up shop in Jerusalem and make it better. And in fact, they expected that they were following him, that they might get some good positions. Right and left. That maybe in, in this life and in this earth, they would have you know, be a part of the cabinet of Jesus. And that's why they had no place for, for what was going on. You know, it's always said, especially around Easter, and I always just kind of, uh, I always just kind of observe this with a little bit of skepticism. People are always saying, you know, everyone betrayed Jesus. That's true, except it's also true that the women... We're always there with Jesus. It's an important thing to observe. The guys all went fishing and they left. But the women were always there. Now they had lost faith that he would rise from the grave. And in fact, the resurrection stories are very clear. The women went to be with Jesus to simply be faithful to him as a person. 
They went on Sunday morning, the Bible says, while it was still night to be with Jesus, but they weren't expecting him to rise from the dead, but at least they were there. They were faithful even though they didn't have faith in what he had actually told them. Take just a minute. This isn't what my message is about, but I want to say there's value in that in your life. Because sometimes we lose faith. We lose faith for the resurrection, or we lose faith in the healing, or we lose faith faith in the people that we should have faith in. We lose faith in the church. Is anybody here today? We lose faith in this or that and the other thing, and yet we can still be faithful. We can still be at the empty grave on Sunday morning. We can still be encouraged if we act in faithful ways, even if we lose our faith. In a couple of the versions, the angel, or in another version, it says a young man. At that time, we had no vision, by the way, of angels, you know, having big wings and little chubby faces. <laughs> that came from the, ar- the artist Reuben in the, in, in the mid-centuries. That's when we thought all angels, you know, are like that. All we know is they look like, you know, young men. Or another version says they were angels. And what they say is very simple. He is not here. He is risen. And in another version it says, like he said. Like he said, just saying. He is not here. He is risen. Now we always look back on that. And of course what that means is, woo, it's a big celebration. Jesus has risen from the dead. The dead, but actually, in the moment that it happened, that wasn't altogether clear to them. In one version, the the women went back and told the disciples, "Jesus isn't there. I wonder what happened to him." That's the instance of what they're saying. And when the the angel says he is not here, he is risen. That word "risen" in the original language does not mean risen from the dead necessarily. The word risen is used in the New Testament 142 times. And it means what it does in our language. It means she she had risen from her sleep. Or he had risen from the chair. Etc, etc. So literally what the angel says is, he is not here. He got up and left. I love that because there's not a lot of theology given at the empty tomb. There's not a lot of explanation there, just the facts. And I'd like to say that we have a lot of theology and a lot of things that we believe in and they're all good, Eh, most of them. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands on its own today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed history and still changes history. Every year around Easter, I always smile because there are all these documentaries on the historical life of Jesus. 
They're on television. We have movies, Newsweek and Time. They always do some sort of retrospective on the life of Jesus, and they all say the same thing, all of them. They all say, we know Jesus was a historical figure. Mm, Very good. We all know that he was crucified. This is history. Now, we don't know if he rose from the dead. I always smile at that because we wouldn't have known he was a historical figure or that he had been crucified if he hadn't risen from the dead. It changed everything and it still is. Jesus rose from the dead and he came back to you and I in a human physical body where people could touch his scars. And the resurrection of Jesus means that the gospel is real. Not not just the gospel with the small g, making a g on this table. The gospel with a small g, please forgive me for this. Your pastor is going to come back soon. He'll correct whatever errors I make. The gospel with the small g is that Jesus saved me. And that's real, and that's true, and that's a big deal. But that's not the gospel with the big g. You see, once again, we tend to think of that, celebrate that, when we look back at the resurrection of the Scriptures from our time in space and time. But the original disciples and followers of Jesus, they weren't really thinking so much about their own personal salvation. Just ride with me just for a minute. We Americans especially tend to think that way because we're so individualistic. And our, our version of the gospel, sometimes unfortunately, is sort of all about our own salvation. Me and Jesus. And when the fact is that we can't really walk with Jesus or know Jesus without the scriptures and without the community of Christ, the truth, but that's the, 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 the church, but that's a whole other message. Please excuse me. The resurrection of Jesus, this is, this is all. I had too much coffee this morning. I'm all wound up. The gospel of Jesus with the big G is this. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's going to fix everything. He's going to redeem everything. If Jesus rose from the dead, there's not just hope for you, buddy, or hope for you, honey. There's hope for everybody. It means the planet is going to actually be redeemed. Man, that's a big deal, people. It means that history is going to be reconciled. Are you getting the big G? It means that Jesus is going to save every language and every ethnicity and every culture in every nation. Have you ever thought about that, that, that in the book of Revelation, we have ethnicities and languages and tribes? The way things ought to be are the way they ought to be in heaven. Are you getting that? So we're not just like one homogenous American culture watching TV. Wow, cool. No, what, what John is saying is that every tribe is there, every ethnicity there, 
Every language is there. Every kind of person and nation is there. Jesus has brought it all together. He is the hope. He is the gospel with the big G. And no matter what happens, and no matter how much conflict and chaos there is, my focus is on the incarnation of Jesus into human form and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in real history and in real time. And that means not, lo- not only am I saved and you're saved, but the world will be reconciled. The planet and the universe will be redeemed because God became a person. And that's the good news. And that's the focus that we must have in our lives every single day. I know that's simple. This is a football. Vince Lombardi was made fun of when he did that by one of the players who was joking but making fun of his coach. And he said, hey coach, could you slow down so we could all get this. I realize that you might be thinking that too. Hello? Jesus was a man. He was fully God. And he rose from the dead. I've heard that already. Me too. But God wants to heal our families and our nation and the nation and the planet. (laughs) And he's going to do that. I'd like to pray with you today. And again, I'm always praying for myself first. (laughs) Because I also get distracted. We should be involved. We should care. We should be passionate about the things that we're involved in and we're fighting for. But we should never do that out of a lack of hope or the belief that it's only our efforts that will change things in the end. Our efforts are important, but our hope, our joy, are in the gospel with the big G. With the big G. Lord, today, I'm going to ask you to do something just for a couple of minutes because I'm really done. I'm going to ask you to just turn your hands over and open them up. Not so much out and over your head, but just in your lap. And Lord, one of the reasons why we gather every Sunday, the day of your resurrection, is to recalibrate ourselves back to the resurrection. And to say, Lord... You haven't neglected anything. You haven't overlooked anything. You haven't dropped the ball. You haven't been distracted at all. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that today, that you pray for us, you sponsor us, you advocate for us as one of us. 
And so we pray, Jesus, would you pray for us today? Would you lift your voice for Grace Church, for its leaders and its families? And now today, I want to ask you with your eyes closed and your hands just open. It's a vulnerable position. There's really no other way to be in the world except in a vulnerable position. We try so hard to protect ourselves and to try to steel ourselves against the chaos of the world, but to be alive is to be vulnerable. And I pray in the quietness of this moment that you would offer God something in your life that is volatile, that is uncertain, that is complex or is ambiguous to you. Something that may have you anxious or fearful. Would you do that just for a minute? Take just a minute. Please stay here with that thought for just a moment. Offer him something to say, Lord, this is me. Would you take this take this moment to remember what's real and what's true and what's most important to us. We pray for our nation. Pray for its leaders. We pray for the church. We pray for our family. We pray for ourselves. And Lord, there are times when we don't pray for specific things. We just pray for the kingdom to come. For the gospel to be strong. For the resurrection power of Jesus to be manifested, Lord. Where all we see is shadows. We thank you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in real history, in real time. And that you have the world in your hands today, Lord. We thank you for that. This is the gospel. And this is what is essential. Mm. Mm. Lord, we take what we have and we give it to you. Give us faith, Lord, to believe in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close in just a minute, but I want to add one little thing, and that is that
God wants to encourage you. Here's a little a word of prophecy to you today. God wants to encourage you that you have plenty of faith. You have more than enough faith than it even takes to have a relationship with God and to see God do great things. So, just very quickly, how many of you uh, drove here to church today? Oh my gosh. Okay, good. How many of you drove with somebody else that takes even greater faith? (laughs) You know, I try not to think about this too much, but every time I get on a plane, which is this huge metallic thing, you know, flying through the air at God knows what speed and then landing. I have no idea how that works. I just get on the plane. The other thing I notice about riding the plane is nobody pays any attention anymore. In fact, they tell us, close all the windows and we're going, we're taking off. When you drive a car, do you know how many Do you know that you're literally trusting hundreds of people with your life when you drive your car? I don't want to remind you of that, but you know it's true. So no matter how jaded or skeptical or disillusioned you may feel, God made it so that nobody could live on this planet without faith. You see how that's true? It's absolutely true. How many of you going to a restaurant afterwards? I will say no more. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that you have to have faith to go, or even your husband's cooking. I don't know. It's just, it takes faith. You see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is God made all of us to have faith to live. Now, let's just take that faith and say, God, I trust you. Can you help me with that? I have to do, I'm doing this for myself. Lord, the faith that I use every day to do everything that I do in life is faith. And Lord, what you want us to do is just say, look, all that faith really goes back to you. And so we do that right now. Increase our faith. Help, Lord, thou our unbelief. But thank you for the faith that we have. We now put it in you. You are secure. You are faithful. You are true. You are resurrected. Thank you, Lord, that our faith is anchored in you no matter what the chaos in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us and we pray you have a blessed day.